When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Live from Spring Training in Jupiter, Florida. I'm your host, Tim McKernan, alongside Derek Gould of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, presented by Design Air Heating and Cooling, the number one train dealer in the Midwest, Design Air. It's hard to stop a train when the ice storm goes away in St. Louis, Derek. Ice storm. There's an ice storm coming. It's coming from Kansas City across the state, I hear tell. As weather works. As weather works. Work. I'm not breaking any stories here, but uh, when it cools down... Uh, and when it warms up, the place you need to be calling is Design Air Heating and Cooling. They're online at designairservice.com. The number one train dealer in the Midwest, Design Air. It's hard to stop a train. Derek Gould with me every week here live from spring training on the Tim McKernan Show presented by Design Air Heating and Cooling. And now about a week's worth of workouts in when you include the pitchers and catchers. Mm-hmm. How would you characterize anything of note to the audience so far from Jupiter, Florida? Well, I think, you know, been around long enough, seen enough spring trains to recognize differences as maybe subtle or, uh, you know, I guess, uh, inside baseball as they are. But there are definitely some differences, um, you know, from they're running from station to station, which is something they're back doing after last year, which was a lot more laid back. Um, that was the word some players used. The pitching schedule um, is way different than uh, – it's not way different, but it's significant. It's it's notably different. That's way way to put it. Notably different than years when Dave Duncan or Derek Lillick was were in charge. You don't see like you know just something as simple as let's the groups. You don't see groups set up so that there is one established player, one like potential major leaguer, and two prospects in that leadership kind of mentoring thing that they try to put on there. In the groups now, I mean, it's four of the five starters. It's hard throwers. It's guys that Maddox wants lined up so that they either see how they throw together or if they're throwing buddies. You know, mm-hmm. they're, they're going to be grouped together for a long time. So you have a throwing group of Adam Wainwright, Michael Walker, Luke Weaver, and Miles Michaelis. Whereas in the past, you would have uh, Walker leading a group, Wainwright leading a group, Weaver in Wainwright's group, and Michaelis leading a group. Yeah. So... Um, there's a difference there. Um, there's some differences to, to their workouts. Some of it is condensed. There will be pitchers who only throw to hitters once before going into their game. Usually that's twice that they'll do it, where they'll do up-downs. Um, that won't happen for a guy like Jack Flaherty. Um, the throws are very brief with a purpose, and they do them fast. And Maddox has stressed game speed. Um, both, and that is also really apparent in the fielding drills where he's wanting that action at game speed. And so they limit the amount of time at the drills 
so that there's less standing around during the drills. And then they go. Yeah. They're out. Yeah. Um, so there's a pace to spring that uh, that is less, I don't know, it's not less plotting. I mean, you know, when Tony LaRusso was involved, there was always something going. If he saw somebody standing still, he was like, I'm doing something wrong. Yeah. I'm wasting their time. But here, there, there's just a different pace to it. Um, and that's interesting. And, uh, you know, hitters, the groups were... We're pretty good. Am I allowed to drink water? Of course, beverage, whatever you want. Scotch, you need a scotch. No, no, I'm still writing. But, you know, some of those things where you have the, uh, you know, just the general pace of the camp is different. Again, some of that is brought on by the schedule, but a lot of that is also just the new personalities. You know, and they've really handed the reins of the pitching over to Max, you know, as Moselock, excuse me, as Moselock and Matheny both said, you know, he was hired for a reason. You owe him autonomy. They're giving it to him. Yeah, that's uh, something I was curious how things have worked out since Maddox has gotten in here. We've got a bunch of questions. You're welcome to submit your questions. We're on Periscope. Can submit questions? Yeah, of course. Oh, okay. You, yeah, why don't you submit questions? You can set yeah. yourself up for success. And then also <laughs> on the uh, Facebook Live, the Tim McKernan Show, uh, is where you can participate with the questions. We had some people submit some in advance. Uh, one of the things that I noticed over the weekend uh, that got a lot of people talking was Rick Hummel's story on Matt Carpenter yeah, and the back. back. Yeah. What is your opinion on how severe that is? I talked to Matt and, uh, and Rick talked to Matt as well. Um, you know, and it, it was the standard kind of thing you hear this time of year where if it were a regular season, he'd be playing. Um, with Matt, the one thing that always stands out to me is how proactive they are to avoid an oblique problem. And you think back to last oh. year where a stiff back beget oblique concerns. And so it seems like they have traced, you know, oblique problems of a few years ago and then the oblique kind of concerns that he went into the season with back to, all right, got to get this back healthy, got to get this stuff um, under control, get the strength there. And so they're really targeting that area um, for additional work. And so when you hear that he's not on the field hitting or that he's had a back flare-up, keep in mind that that is – the sign that has told them what his schedule ought to be and that they modified his schedule thus to strengthen that area. So it's not like he's not doing anything. Okay. It's just that he's focused on, before racing off into baseball activities, um, he is doing more of the back strengthening, all with an eye of preventing an oblique or whatever could come from it. Is this something that, that you, as a writer, would go, ooh, here we go, this is a problem? Well, I know any time we connect the dots, yeah. 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 I felt like a lot of fans were like, oh, no, oh, here no, we I'm, go. I'm fine. I think that's fine. I'm yeah. Like, you know, and, and Carpenter connects the dots, too. It's just finding the root cause of an injury that has caused or that has led to problems before, and how do you head it off at the pass? And that, that does seem to be where they're at. And, you know, they got to a similar point, like I said, last spring, where they, they fended off an oblique injury so that he wasn't out for two weeks. However, he was slowed for a month, and yeah. that persisted. Now this is like, oh, I'll get it at the front end and get, build up that strength so that it's never an issue. Um, if Am I allowed to tease? Of stuff? course. It's a, it's a free-for-all. It's All right. a free-for-all. So you're asking about, um, just real quick, yeah. an addendum to what you were asking earlier about. There is something else that, Matt, uh, that Maddox has brought to the table, um, and if you watch a bullpen – it's one of the last things that the pitchers do, and it's a message that is being sent to all the pitchers. Um, and tomorrow I'm going to explain. 
what oh, that is. Oh, that's a good and, tease, sir. That's a good tease. And I will add this, that it is something that we have not seen a lot of, certainly did not see a lot of in the Dave Duncan era. Wow. Now I feel like i got a tiny guess, but I don't want to put you on the spot on the off chance I would fire a bullet accurately. So uh, you can read that. So I'll, yeah, I'll write it, yeah, I'll write about it tomorrow. I've been asking account. around about it. And saw it on the first couple days and uh, saw new pitchers react to it. And, yeah, just kind of pulled the thread to see what I could find. Interesting. Uh, speaking of pitchers, over the weekend we saw a St. Louis area native, uh, Jake Odorizzi, I get traded from the Rays to the Twins, and I, along with some other people who tweeted at me with uh, questions in advance for a live from spring training show, were wondering if that meant, oh, well, now the Rays are dismantling, and that would increase the probability of them trading Chris Archer. Your thoughts on that? It might be counterintuitive that it might actually reduce the chances of them trading Chris Archer. One of the things that the Rays are doing is they are doing a reboot. Um, so much so that uh, the recently announced Rays tank was seen as a joke. Uh, you know, or, or perhaps too on the nose advertising. But uh, the, the Rays see what teams have done and I guess most close to home for the Cardinals would be what the Brewers have done. Where they have had a tank to end them but an accelerated return. Um, you see teams doing what it took several years for Houston to do, doing doing what the Cubs took several years to do with a faster turnaround. Um, and the way to do that is to trade off short-term pieces, like uh, Odorizzi, who you have short-term control over, or Longoria, who you wonder you know, what that next phase of his career is going to be, and hope that in those trades you are designed to get in those trades the prospects that allow you to rebuild quicker um, you get the draft picks, you move on, and then uh, still have like a player like Archer, whose contract is friendly enough that by you know two, three years into right. it right now, you are going to be contending again, and you want him to lead the um, the rotation. So what you do is you identify how long that turnaround will take, and then you move players to accumulate the draft or the talent that makes that possible. So, in, in, in a way, the, the trade of Odorizzi by getting the talent back, and also, really, that you think of the talent they got for Longoria, um, you know, that gives them an infusion that allows for them to say, you know what, we don't need to cash in our biggest chip. We can keep the biggest chip because in the lifetime of his contract, which is friendly, you'll still have um, a chance to contend. Got it. Oh, that makes sense because a lot of people, including myself, were wondering when they saw that, okay, maybe that increases the chances that Archer goes, but uh, they're explaining the logic behind the Rays keeping him despite the Cardinals' interest. Uh, here is something, I don't think we've discussed it when you've been on uh, the Ryan Kelly Morning After and 590 Fan KFNS. I'm, I'm curious where you are on this because if the Cardinals were doing this, I would be a hell of a lot more fired up about it in a negative way. Uh, because I, I don't get what the Giants are doing. I'm surprised by it. Um, they're, age, certain, they're 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 getting older on purpose. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, they had one of the worst defensive outfields in the game last year by defensive run saves, and then they went out and added a guy who was one of the worst defensive run save players at his position. Right, that kind of thing. That kind of thing. So, are you confused by it as well as you're observing this? I'm not. Um, because the Giants had to do something, right? Okay, the Giants had such an expensive payroll last year 
and got no return on mm-hmm. these, right? Who are the Giants' core players? I mean, Buster Posey, Madison Bumgarner, yeah. right? Uh, Hunter Pence was um, probably, yeah, he pro- I'm probably not, right? So those two guys, well, they're not getting younger. They are edging out of their peak years, mm-hmm. right? So if you're the Giants and you already have all this money spent, and you're not going to trade those two guys, what can you do? Um, one thing you can do is try to get some guys who have had production in the past. You know that. They might be aging out of it, but they might have that one-year, two-year flickers left. Mm-hmm. And if you get vintage change of scenery Andrew McCutcheon, if you get healthy playing on grass in the National League, Evan Longoria, um, then you might have lightning strike. I, I get that. Um, so they're kind of going with guys who might have that one or two years left in the tank and hoping that it all comes together right. because they're already spending that money. Yeah. You know, So I, I think that the, the Giants are doing a little bit like what the Phillies did several years ago is they're just trying desperately to hold on to that yeah. glory that era, yeah. in that era. And instead of bending really young, because they couldn't, um, they, you know, I mean, you can't really bend terribly young around Posey, around Bumgarner, without trading one of them. Um, they're trying to keep it together in what is a really ruthless division. Yeah. So I, I, I think they they have the money. Um, they have the ability to take on money. They gave up a significant prospect to get Longoria, which is interesting. But they are trying to... They're trying to win with um, with guy with nostalgia, essentially. And I just I feel like for an organization like that, they're potentially they're putting themselves at what I think is a slight probability to have great success this year in really risking a couple of years down the road. And I just so what because Posey will be how old then, and Bumgarner will be how old, and I, I think it feels wrong because it's so much the opposite of the current trend in the game. Like what the Giants are doing now, you would would seem familiar for what the Yankees did in the early 90s, right? It was, right, oh, well, that's right. what a team with money does. Right, right. It's just so different than what other teams are doing now where they bend young, go young, go young, get younger, get less experience, get cheaper, get better value. So it just it feels wrong, but it might, because it's so different and things go right, you know, it, it's like it's not 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 all that different than what the Cardinals are doing. The Cardinals are just doing it with younger guys, right? I mean, the Cardinals. What what guys are they banking on? Luke Gregerson, yeah. you know, Miles Michaelis, um, a bullpen of Leon, maybe Mott now. I mean, so the Cardinals are are trying to roll the dice too a little bit. They're just doing it, you know, with uh, with new names, younger players. The Mott Mahika signings, along with Bud Norris, have not played well. But I, well, yeah, two of them are minor league deals. Right, and I want, I want to get, get into that specifically because the optics of it make it look like it's one thing, and if you want to frame it, that, oh, the Cubs went and signed you Darvish, the Cardinals' response was Bud Norris, the yeah. Gallery brought in Ruhika, and now Jason Mott, and I think that's framing it, you know, to, to drive home a narrative that I just don't necessarily think is what's going on with yeah. this. But, but how would you explain those 
three to those who are going, what in the hell are they doing? Well, Mojica signed a minor league deal and did not get an NRI, so they are not counting on him. And I'll break news here on the Tim McKernan show. Wow, wow, wow. They are not counting on him to be the opening day starter. Say it ain't so. I just, just <laughs> want to put that out there. They are not relying on him <laughs> to be part of the major league roster on opening day. Um, you know, I mean, like I said, he's not even here in spring training. So that deal was, here's a guy who can still pitch, can still have depth. And you know what? There wouldn't shock me at all if one of their ideas is put him in Memphis, not just for the depth of having him there, but for the reality of him helping influence the guys who they are going to count mm-hmm. on. Ryan Helsley, Jordan Hicks, uh, Ryan Sheriff. You give Mojica, you know, who has been an all-star, has been through the saves, and then just give him a seat along with those guys. And that that completely fits into the Cardinal approach of trying to have an older guy around to show younger guys what direction they need to go, where improvements they need to get, and what to expect when they get the majors. And Mojica, really good guy to do that, especially when you think about some of the Latin players they're going to be coming up as well. I mean, there's going to be people that, young players who will gravitate towards him. So um, while he won't be the opening day starter, sources confirm, um, he, he does have a role with that contract. It's a minor league deal. Uh, Jason Mott, you know, not unlike so many other veterans we've seen come in here, it's just that he's more familiar, you know, because he was a former closer. You know, Nishik came in on a minor league contract. Every year there's there's usually a reliever that comes in on a minor league contract just with the chance to show and an openness to go to AAA. And often that guy makes, you know, you think about Ardzema a few years ago. I mean, he pitched okay. He just came in so late. Yeah. Um, had the same kind of pedigree, you know, was trying to get the same kind of traction going. And went to Memphis and, and did all right for himself. And then, you know, never came up with the Cardinals, but, you know, bounced around a little bit. This happens all the time. It's just that now you have a guy whose name you recognize. Right. And Mott threw pretty well last year. Um, he's certainly willing to go to Memphis. He lives there. Lives there yeah. um, you know, and he's made that clear. So um, not a bad depth move. Norris is maybe the one that is more in- interesting in the sense that, um, you know, again, another familiar name, the fact that they advertised it as a starter, they're going to stretch him out as a starter. Did that surprise you? It it. Because of success last year, and I think this probably was under the radar, radar, was the relief. Oh, yeah. 18 saves with the Angels, he was kind of lights out. First two months before a knee injury, he right. was excellent. He was, and I, I watched some of those games, and you're like, wait, this is the same Bud Norris? What is going on here? Yeah, I mean, it, he, he shook off the bruises of Baltimore, found a new role, and took off. And um, you're right, really did well. Excellent strikeout rate, um, a few walks, uh, and then the knee injury kind of slowed him down a little bit. So, um I'm not surprised that they're having him come in as a starter for two reasons. One, he can, and better to have a guy stretched out if you want to go that direction or if one of your other guys really struggles. And you need that guy with experience to just kind of hold for a month until Alex Reyes shows up. So that makes sense. And two, it frees up the the fact that now Tyler Lyons is not being stretched out. Tyler Lyons is not the sixth starter. Mm-hmm. Tyler Lyons is not the long reliever. Norris could be. Tyler Lyons is a is going to have a factor in late innings, and they are making it very clear to him, to his schedule, to us, to watching 
that they're going to, that he's not going to be the guy under glass anymore. This is somebody who's going to get used. Jack Flaherty gets the start to open yeah. on Friday against the Marlins, one of seven games with the Marlins. Pins and Feathers. Pins and Feathers. And feathers. The best of seven series. The best of seven series. You get to see The it. Jupiter Cup. Uh, see it starting on Friday. Oh, um, Jeter traded the Jupiter Cup. So oh, did he? It's, it's gone, along with Billy the Marlin and yeah. Conine. Uh, I, this was a good question. I like this one because we focus so much on the young arms uh, the Triple H, of course, along with Reyes, Flaherty. Um, but are there some young position players uh, that have that's the whole similar height along with those pitchers? Well, not the similar level of height, um, but similar feel. Tyler O'Neill has legit sure. power, um, very similar to Grichik, um, with uh, Mr. Universe kind of strength. Um, Randy Rosarena and Adonis, Adolis Garcia, Adonis Garcia's bro, younger brother, speedy Cuban center fielders, um, good players, um, you know, still seem to have kind of a, a, a real beat on being a fourth outfielder. Still got to prove whether or not they could be something more than that. Um, Garcia, very appealing. Um, you know, Bader, Bader still counts, right? Sure, so Bader, Bader is a young position player. I think what you don't see is the middle infield position players, and there isn't a third baseman on the 40-man roster who would be the next man up. Um, Patrick Wisdom would have to be added to the 40-man, which is sort of where the Cardinals are with their position players, is a guy who hit 30 home runs at AAA last year is not on the 40-man roster. So it kind of tells you, you know, their depth is in pitching, their position players are in the majors, and they still aren't, they're still looking for ways to supplement and add depth. Um, they did that via trade. I, I was really interested. I wrote about this at stltoday.com not too long ago. But this kind of crop rotation of prospects, you know, where um, they trade uh, Sandy Alcantara and the Ozuna trade while you go and then make a move and get a guy like Connor Green, who could be Sandy yeah. Alcantara. Um, you know, you you, uh, you trade some of the, you know, like a, um, a Ms. Diaz, who would have been your backup shortstop. So you, in the Piscotti deal, you get a couple middle infielders back who might be rated as high as Ms. Diaz, you know, in the future. It can be that, that utility. So they kind of just, they all got, they all got younger. They all, you know, the Cardinals got younger with those, with the moves. They replenished what they were missing with those moves. They got cheaper with those moves and they got less service time with those moves and more options with those mm-hmm. So it was very much like a, prospect crop rotation. They just shifted um, back a few years. So we'll see like with a Munoz and a Schrock, if they emerge. Schrock's got a, a good hit tool. Um, we'll see if he emerges as like a middle infield prospect. Um, and Mondo Sosa moving up the list. And this is a big year for Delvin Perez. You know, Delvin Perez, by all accounts, should be this team's, you know, preeminent position player prospect. Um, that guy needs to be considered a top five within the organization and a top 100 um, within baseball by the time this is all said and done. I want to make sure we get as many questions from the people as possible. Feel free to submit them in the Facebook Live and the Tim McKernan Show page. Uh, if you're watching on Periscope on Twitter, uh, just search Tim McKernan Show page on uh, Facebook, and that is where the Facebook Live is airing as well as, of course, on Periscope. We are watching it. Uh, this question coming in. Cardinals could easily add one or two big contracts right now. They get $19 million off their books next season when Wainwright leaves. Mm-hmm. What's the plan? Why can't they pay Holland now or get somebody that can help now? Why can they not pay They can pay Holland now. 
they choose not to. I mean, that this, that's what the Cardinals, mm-hmm. it's, that doesn't have anything to do with it. They, they have money around. They have prospects around. They, they remain a team positioned as well as anybody to spend assets, whether that's cash assets or prospect assets. They choose not to. Um, for some, that's because they don't want to pay sticker price for a player who they don't think they're going to get sticker value, you know, like a guy like Greg Holland. Um, you, know, you, you look at what Wade Davis got. Um, if Greg Holland is scaled back from Wade Davis, that's still not the price that the Cardinals want to pay. You look at what Addison Reed got with the Twins. It's clear the Cardinals didn't want to pay that salary. So it's not a case that they don't have it. It's they mm-hmm. choose not to. Mm-hmm. So, you know, are they fortifying for next year when the, uh, when the free agents are better, the free agent market is more appealing? Well, I mean, I'm not sure that they can pragmatically say that if they offer more money to Manny Machado than a bigger market that Manny Machado will say, yeah, I'll come there. Um, they just haven't signed guys like that. They haven't had much success. They need that breakthrough, um, but they don't need to store nuts for it. You know, they, they're they're doing fine. They got fifty million from MLB Advanced Media from that payout. They got a they got the one point one billion dollar rights fee thing starting this year, which um, they have spent some up already. You know, I mean they they saw an acceleration in payroll um, a few years ago that was related to the money that they knew coming out. Now that's not saying that they can't still spend more money. They can. They they have it in them to to be one of the, the higher payrolls, to be the second highest payroll in the division to, you know, um, you know, Theo Epstein believes that they have the ability to outspend anybody. He said all they have to do is put the, you know, the gas pedal down. What's missing from that equation is they actually have to find the player to put the gas pedal down for. Mind you, this conversation is entirely different if any one of three players says yes. If David Price says yes, their payroll is up, and they have a $200 million pitcher on the payroll. People aren't asking about whether or not the Cardinals are cheap or whether they have money to spend. If Jason Hayward says yes, you have a $190 million right fielder on your team, a new highest-paid player, and a guy who you're wondering, is he going to figure out his swing, or did you pay that much money for a defensive yeah. specialist in the outfield, which is you know where the Cubs are right now? Or if Giancarlo Stanton says yes, and then if he does, just with a simple yes, yeah. the Cardinals have the high, the, the largest cap contract in professional sports and a willingness to eat almost $250 million of it, if not a bit more. So, you know, that's that's money that they've never offered. Um, so but because they all did say, say no, no, fans are sitting there going, okay, you got a question mark at third base. Yeah. You have a question mark in the back end of the bullpen. And it feels like you have a question mark in the rotation, so much so that now Bud Norris is getting stretched out. He only spent the first half of last year as a closer, and there are quote unquote perceived anyway solutions out there. For what all solutions three. are out out there for all three places? So if you again, yeah. they're, they're out there. I'm not saying that they're right, but no, you say you, Holland. But you said I, solutions. So Holland, precise and perceived yeah. solutions. Oh, it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. Ken Starr and William Jefferson Clinton here. <laughs> but perceived solutions, yeah. Greg Holland, Jake Arrieta, and then also Mike Moustakis. So, so Mike Moustakis, his marketable quality for the Cardinals would be he's left-handed. That would be appealing to them. Otherwise, isn't Jed Jerko better? 
I think that a lot of people out there are saying, why not get Moustakas because he's a left-handed bat and he would do more. Sure. Now, I'm not saying, again, that's, per, that's a perception no, no, that adds to the cheap thing. So, yeah, I get that. into the questions. I, I understand that. Um, and I, I feel like sometimes if I if I explain what the Cardinals' view is, people take it as my view. And, you know, you explain what the Cardinals see. Cardinals don't see Mike Moustakas as anything better than Jed Jerko. They believe Jed Jerko is the better third baseman. My view of that is you can actually make that argument, that if you want to go out there and get Mike Moustakas, you are paying for him to be left-handed and then less of Jed Jerko in every other spot. It's not worth it. Right. Okay. Uh, Greg Holland, the perception from the Cardinals is he had an excellent few months. You're paying for past saves, uh, you know, which is something that they are just allergic to doing, um, to which I would suggest that, fine, don't pay for past saves, but recognize that maybe you should go over and beyond to go get the right-hander that you wanted, not just the right-hander who wanted you, which was Gregerson. They did that with Brett Cecil a year ago. So why wouldn't it be so different this year that if you wanted Morrow or you wanted Shaw or you wanted one of the other right-handers that, you know, that wasn't the closer, wasn't going to get closer money, but was a potential closer, well, how did you not make that work? Um, why did you not go above and beyond? Because you have that cap. Now, Arietta is interesting. Arietta is all about the years. You know, I mean, that just, and the Cardinals are not alone in this. You can see this all throughout baseball. Teams are reluctant to give longer term deals to pitchers in their 30s, particularly right handers. And the Cardinals are so reluctant to do so that you only have to look back at how they handled the Max Scherzer deal to understand how hesitant they are to commit high dollars to right handed pitchers when you bake in the fact that they're just going to miss time, or if they lose velocity, they lose a lot. You know, mm-hmm. so, um, and that's where they are. Now, I mean, you know, I, I was talking the other day, and I think I've joked about it, maybe not here, but um, elsewhere, is like, you know, you take a moment and think of Jake Arrieta as the closer for this team. That'd be pretty cool. Yeah. Is he going to sign for closer money? You know, um, Cardinals, if he would go shorter term, they would go higher AAV, and that's the money you're talking about. That allows them to do that. But why would he? You know, what shorter term is he? Would he want to do? And that—that's sort of where they're at. So um, they have money to spend, um, but you know, signing—you know, going out to sign a guy because you have money to spend when you already have somebody better on on uh, you know on the roster—that what is that for? What does that do? Is that for PR? It seems like. And you would be better suited. It seems like sometimes the argument is spend money so you win the marketing game, not so you win in the standings. I understand where you're coming from on that. I, I, on the Moustakas Jerko, I get it. Yeah. That one I get. The Holland thing, I, I have to like counterintuitively get myself into this mode of, okay, we're not going to pay for pass saves, but I don't know what the solution is in the ninth inning in 2018, and that's the thing. It's not like you're going, okay, if you're going Gregerson, Holland, yeah. that's tough. And, and I, I'm, kind of, no, setting, I, I I'm kind of setting this up like trying a court case because I, I told you I had some quotes yeah. from uh, my podcast interview with John Zalock, which we did at the end of October last year. And he said regarding the Cardinals' uh, plan to be aggressive this offseason, quote, I think there's a part of me that recognizes the market has changed, the price points are changing, and we need a change with it. I think internally, having our own evolution of how we learn, how we grow, how we process, 
I welcome. Then regarding the bullpen, when you lose your closer, it's tough. You've got to have that guy that finishes games. Creating closers isn't the easiest thing to do. Sometimes some of your best arms are starters in the minors. Uh, I would think right now it's probably someone from the outside if we want to have someone who can dynamically close. And then I asked him, uh, it was a roundabout way of asking about Lance Lynn without putting him on the spot uh-huh. Lance Lynn because I figured it would be a political answer, and so I wanted to see where he was. On starters, I asked, what about a starter? How would you rank that priority? Because he'd already said closers 1A, yeah. impact bats 1B. And on the starter, he said, quote, I certainly think we won't ignore that market, but I don't think it's first on our priority list. I would say when you look at this past year, finishing games was our problem. Yeah. So when I line all of those up with we're going to have to get outside of our comfort zone, we know that. We know that it's difficult to grow uh, closers. Creating closers isn't the easiest thing to do. We're probably going to have to go outside. And I would say last year, finishing games is our biggest problem. That's in October. Mm-hmm. And what do we look at now as we sit here in late February? You see Luke Gregerson. Yeah. That's what I see anyway. That's what I yeah. see. No. It's difficult for people to comprehend the message, the standard that was set by the president of baseball operations versus what you have right now. That tells me somebody, let me phrase this, it tells me somebody's said no thank you. Yeah. Whether it was most likely free agents that they had interest in, because we know they have free agents that they talked to be for relievers beyond Ferguson. Uh, and that they had interest in beyond Ferguson, not just that they talked and touched everybody. Or, or trades that just didn't work out. My my thought is that they went in with a menu of options that they thought that they were going to be able to get done with the closer thing. And I'm not convinced that they were ever willing to pay you know retail price, which is what um, Gersh said when I asked him about it. Just they haven't. They haven't since Jason Isringhausen. They are really reluctant to spend on saves that somebody else already got. Mm-hmm. However, there were at least four or five relievers out there that you could turn in to setup guys, strong setup guys, who you could turn to as closers and think, well, if you get two of them, one of them will emerge. Right. Or if you get two of them, then that's two fewer innings and one of your young guys emerges. So that, that they had that out there. What, what, what his comments in October to you and to us, you know, multiple times in, in conversations about how a priority was closing games and even what Maddox said, when he was signed about how important it was to go out and get a sure thing for the late innings, especially after his or his experience last year with the Nationals, when they kind of did it yeah. ad hoc. Boy, that was something um, else. And he, they did a great job pulling it together, but they had to make moves at the deadline. Mm-hmm. So all these people set the focus. So the and then you see the roster they have now. That tells me that somebody, somebody's said no. Okay, and that happens. You know? And that's something that that. In St. Louis, it's not something that has been commonplace. Really going back, I think, I think I can trace it back to 1997 when McGuire came over here all the way through. Would it be fair to say Jason Hayward saying no? Right. But a lot of those guys, they traded for mood and kept. Right. And Hayward stands out as a guy who they traded for mood and then said, no thanks. I'd rather be a cub. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, I think there are multiple things in play here. Um, one is the fact that, you know, there are other destinations became um, more appealing to, to players, uh, whether it was the, uh, the 
the, the circus and the fun and the theme trips that the Cubs take and <laughs> their wonderfully wacky manager um, or the fact that they could win um, yeah. and be part of a team of a lifetime kind of thing or a once in a lifetime championship. Um, but, but not just the Cubs. Every team got money too is also part of it. You know, the Cubs or the Cardinals for a long time were a middle market team that spent like a big market where, and there were a lot of big market teams that spent like middle markets. And so that allowed the Cardinals to contend on a footing. It wasn't quite the Yankees, it wasn't quite the Red Sox, but was certainly better than everybody else um, when you look at their spending um, or what they could spend. And they did that by keeping guys, by keeping guys, by, you know, the extensions for Pools, the extensions for Edmonds, extensions for Roland, you know, the free agent signing of Holiday after trading for him and then keeping him. Um, you know, all those things, that was, that, that was their game plan. Well, the game caught up with them. You know, other teams have just as much money. Other teams put just as much um, weight on the uh, the prospects as the Cardinals do. And so trades became more difficult for them. And options for players when they became free agents became more plentiful too. So all those things played into changing the edge that the Cardinals had yeah. for all those years. And they have to find a new way to do it. Um, this winter was a sign of, how they look at that, and then Marcelo Zuna deal was certainly they, they have to pay prospects to get these guys. They have to count on trying to get years of control um, because there's no guarantee the guy will stick around. So Zuna, two years, is appealing. Yelich with his deal even more appealing, and the cost was you know just something the Cardinals were going to have to stomach that they hadn't done before. We had John Mazelak sit down with us on Friday and Ryan Kelly morning after, uh, and I didn't know he was going to be sitting down. He just kind of came up and sat down on the wonderful picnic table. Did he know you guys were there? Or he did. I believe he, oh, maybe he just was sitting down. He's like, oh, here's three clowns at a picnic table. I'll sit down. They seem harmless enough and don't know what's going on. This is a safe haven. Well, you guys were all wearing the same outfit. That's right. That's right. We, we were team uniforms is what we have on the show. So he sits down, and he says, I have two minutes. And I said, well, two minutes, and I'm going to have to come right out of the gate and go. And I said, I've never seen, I'm going back to the 90s, fans this unhappy going into a season. And, uh, and I said, you know, what is your response? And he sarcastically said, he goes, well, I guess we haven't provided them with enough entertainment, enough success over the last X amount of years. And he goes, I'm being snarky here. He goes, but I'd like to think uh, our track record has proven that we have an idea of what we're doing and people can trust us. And I understand that. And, I'm, and I'll, I'll yield the floor in a moment. And I, I mean, now granted, he wasn't the GM for, you know, 2000 through right. 2006, but he was a part of it. And then the success they had in 09 and then 11 through 15. However, inclusive in that track record is Oledmus Diaz, Stephen Piscotti, Randall Gritchick, Trevor Rosenthal, a lot of players who were hyped up as the next core who are no longer here. And so if we're going to talk track record, that also has to come into the discussion. And it struck me as uncharacteristic for our conversations with Mazalek, where he's always sarcastic. That's part of the fun of the interview is that he gives it to us and we give it to him. But that he was somewhat defensive about it and clearly a little irritated by the angst. Your response to all of that? I don't believe people buy tickets for the coming season to relive past success. I think they go to the game expecting to see the Cardinals win, or at least to expect the Cardinals to put forth 
a quality team that most often right. wins. I don't think people buy tickets for 2018 and go to the game and go, man, I hope they have highlights of 2013. I'm really hoping <laughs> that they show the final out of 2011 multiple times because I, I, they can get David Freeze on YouTube, <laughs> right? They go, they buy tickets to go to the current thing. So I, I do get the sense that there is sort of a tabula rasa approach to being a fan. Now, what right? does that mean? I consider myself an educated blank fan. Thank blank, you. Blank slate. And I think that's actually Latin. It is. Yeah. Well, no, no, not Latin. Oh, it is Latin. Yeah. Well, I, I, I took four years of it. That speaks to how much I was paying attention. Yeah, sorry. sorry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Please don't speak a language they took blank four slate, years of. Blank slate. I think they, I think seasons start with blank Say Ticket sales start. Uh-huh. I mean, it, it had start and everything like that because you, you win a World Series, there's going to be a natural level of excitement. You land Gene Carlos Stanton, you'd be a natural level right. of excitement. So fans buy tickets not based on the fact that they go to the ballpark to see highlights of the past. They might like to see, and this is sort of what I tried to tackle too with the story in today's paper was, you know, they wrap themselves in history around here in spring training. And, and it's, it's, it's part of who they are. And, and they supposedly read that in their pitch to Stanton as well. They did. They did. In their that. pitch to Stanton, yes. And they, uh, they make a big deal of it. At some point in time, they need to recognize the present hasn't been too great, you know. And I thought what Matt Carpenter told me was very fascinating, that every team is expected to put its line in the history book. Every team is supposed to put a notch for what it accomplished. 100 wins, division title, playoff appearance, World Series, pennant. That notch is supposed to be there. 16 and 17, no notch. Where's the... The notch. Focus on the 18 and getting that notch. Put your line in history. And I think there, you know, there is some, not some, there's trepidation about this team. And rightfully so. They, they have, they, and I think we've talked about this. They had an opportunity this winter with assets on hand, prospects and cash to go out and get some certainties, to go out and address with certainty some of their concerns. And what they have done is they have dressed it with possibilities, not certainties. And possibilities are hard to wrap your hands around. And maybe that's where Greg Holland fits in to bring this full circle, is the thought that if they had signed him or had signed him or whatever, um, that, uh, that that would be a certainty. I guess. But his saves don't carry over. Um, what I would suggest is that while that might give the fans a view of like, oh, okay, well, they got an answer for the ninth inning. I'm not quite sure that would be the answer for mm-hmm. the ninth inning. I still think it would lead to um, one of the young guys taking over eventually, and then you would have this high-dollar yeah. setup. There, right. Which maybe wasn't all that bad. But don't I'm – not, I'm not giving them a pass, though, because if that was such – like you read those quotes – if that was such an important thing, a 1A, a 1B kind of thing, right, then make it a priority so that a guy has to say no. Can't say no. So a guy can't say no. That's where the Cardinals have to get to. Make the offer that the guy can't turn down. Make the offer not that is the same as the Cubs or slightly better than the Cubs or is the same as this team and sli- or slightly better than this team. Make the offer that the guy can't walk away from. Mm-hmm. You know, make the offer like he gave Carlos Beltran that he can't walk away from. Make the offer like you did to Brett Cecil, that he can't walk away from. You know, um, the the notion of, hey, come be with the Cardinals, and this is what we're offering. I worked with Miles Michaelis. He was really intrigued. Um, 
you know, they, they train here in his hometown. He's got family connections to St. Louis. He was really sold on what they saw in him and what he knew of them from being around there. That's the rarity now. That used to be the kind of move that they hang their hat on. That's the rarity now. The, the new market reality is Brett Cecil. Do that. Do that more often. Yeah, and, and if that's what you're saying at the start of October, yeah. and the result is what you've seen here in 2018's offseason, it just makes people scratch their heads. Uh, right here, Players uh, say no. this team does not have an ace or a closer. Give the Cardinals credit for getting the cleanup hitter. One out of three key components to a playoff team. It may be why fans are disgruntled. Fair. Yeah. Bill Carlos Martinez has to be an ace. I would consider him to be an ace. But I would say he has to be. He has to be an ace. Yes. In, in order for this team to do anything. Yeah, I mean, that, that this is his time. The case. Yeah. Uh, regarding the free agents who are out there, we talked a little bit about Moustakis. We certainly talked about Holland and talked about Arietta. When and where do you think these players are going to wind up? We have um, now started to see the glacier yeah. collapse over yeah. the last... Uh, few days. The dominoes in slow motion yeah. are falling. Um, yeah, I mean, I think Arietta and Lynn are, are on deck and in the hole, um, you know, in the sense that uh, you see Arietta sign and some of the similar teams are in. I think Odorizzi was one of the hang-ups there um, because Odorizzi had a arbitrary, in fact, I know, I'm not, not going to say I think, I know, uh, Odorizzi had a uh, arbitration hearing. And so teams that were interested in our and Odorizzi, why would they then trade for him and then have to go make that arbitration and have that be their first contact right. with him? Instead, what they could do was wait for that arbitration here because you know it's going to happen. See what the price point is and then make that deal, whether you're comfortable. Because you knew going, the teams knew going in, it was going to be one or the other. Arbiters either choose what the team offers or choose what the agent offers. Or what the agent asked for, not in between. Right. So you can set that trade before the hearing, and once that hearing is done, you have a salary set. You make the deal, which is exactly what happened. You know, his, the, he wins. Um, twins make the deal. Twins involved in all the conversation for the other starters. Milwaukee involved in conversations trying to get Odorizzi. Now everybody falls in. So um, it, it did seem like there was a hang up there with the, get that hearing out of the way, get the trade out of the way and then see where everything lands. And Arietta is involved in, you know, Milwaukee has interest in Arietta and Lynn, or has had conversations with the agents for both. You have Washington as a possible landing point for Arietta and Lynn. You have the Mets as a possible landing point for Lynn. Um, you know, uh, the Orioles were there, but they made their move for a starter. Could they get another? Sure. Um, so you kind of see now how the, 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 the pool is defined with Odorizzi on the move to the Twins for who would be in play for Arietta and for Lynn. And it wouldn't be a shock if another Boris client like Arietta goes to Washington, which quietly has a need for a starter. Um, and that would put Lynn possibly with the Mets. Interesting. Where do you think Holland winds up? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, <laughs> sitting there and I'm going, I don't know. Um, the White Sox was yeah. I saw, I saw that today. Yeah, um, but you know the way it was presented was you know the White Sox are a possibility for Mustakas. I mean, in the end, they're one of thirty major league teams, and thirty major league teams usually sign major league players. So <laughs> I guess all thirty <laughs> are a potential 
plays. But, uh, um, you know, you can see uh, in the Yankees, right? Yankees still has a place. Um, yeah, I don't know. Uh, it does seem like taking a one-year deal for him is, is likely, but, man, what good does that do him? He's just back in the mix again next year in a, in a thicker crowd of free agents. So, I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know, but I do know that look, should tell you something, right? That these guys that people go, why are the Cardinals signing? No one has signed. Mm-hmm. The better question for me is what guys signed that said that the Cardinals right. couldn't get? That always, to me, is the better question. That, you know, if you have a bunch of free agents available at this time, it's not just the Cardinals passing on them. It's all 30 teams, which should tell you something about the asking prices or the reviews or the evaluations or the health yeah. of these guys that isn't always public or how they fit. So if 30 teams are saying no right now at that price, we'll pass. The question isn't who's available. It's who signed that, you know, like the Shaws of the world or the Morals of the world that said no to the Cardinals. That, to me, is always more fascinating. I'm curious about this, and this is kind of an inside baseball question for what you do for a living as far as writing for post-dispatch, and that is the Cardinals, just for the record, uh, and I would imagine Derek would, would say this, the Cardinals, and I, I respect this, I understand it, even though I guess it's frustrating from our standpoint, they play close to the best. If there was a scale on being loose uh, versus... Uh, playing close to the best, the Cardinals would be on on that end. Would that be the extreme? extreme. The extreme yeah. end. Okay. Uh, is it characteristic for someone within the organization to say to someone in your position, not just like a fly by night guy, but a guy who's been covering the team for a good long while, certainly credible not only locally but nationally, to say, listen, we have something on the table for Addison Reed, for example, uh, but he just said no. Don't you know? Don't attribute it to me. But then that way it gets out there to the fan base. Or is would that be a total outlier? Do you see where I'm going? Because we're we're both. I mean, you're yeah. a beat writer. I'm hosting a talk show, albeit a, a nitwit talk show. But nonetheless, we occasionally talk sports, and we both are in the dark as to who perhaps said no. Oh well, no! Both, I think I think we know more of. Okay. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, okay. Or that the offer. I guess. What we don't know is was the offer akin to the Cubs, and all things are equal. And he said, "I'd rather be a Cub." Or was the Cubs also? So is it characteristic for an organization to keep that information in-house as to not only who they were pursuing, but what kind of terms they were putting on the table? That's what I'm I'm legitimately asking because I don't know, and I'm sure... Not all. No, I mean, uh, for the Cardinals, yes. The Cardinals, yes, of course. Um, And uh, they they just don't do it. They They don't talk about those things. To find out about the Cardinals is not always impossible. Um... You know, like like uh, the example would be well, it's obviously not all. I mean, because I write, I have to write stories. Not when it's coming from the car, so you have to find and and you know like, like maybe this winter and you know here's a mistake, kind of uh, yeah, find a mistake. But um, you can kind of see how it goes where you try to find out what the Cardinals are interested. In. You can find you can follow the breadcrumbs so far, and an example of that is Colony, where you know. An, Heard of, I knew during the season of some of the, caller, call, the Cardinals' view of Colome. Um, I knew that he was under contract. I knew that he was the type of guy who the Cardinals, while he led the save in, or led the American League in saves last year, that they didn't necessarily see as a closer per se, but certainly as a possible closer. 
And because of the years of control, it wasn't a big deal if he came in and wasn't the closer. If he was the seventh inning, eighth inning guy, he was under control. Yeah. You know, and it wasn't like his salary was based on having to save games or having to have a high profile role in the in the bullpen. Um, now he'd have to give up some to get some, but um, I knew the Cardinals and Rays were talking that there was mutual interest and and had heard multiple times about Evan Longoria and the connection either players were making or teams were making with Cardinals and Rays. But you know, in the end, um, Cardinals were interested in, in Archer, and while I knew of the interest with the Rays and had been told possibly it was with Colome being part of it, Cardinals from their perspective, were focused on trying to get Archer. Was that possible? And so whatever direction those conversations took, whether it included Colomay at one point in time or Longoria at one time, that was coming from the Rays as possible trade. Cardinals were on Archer. Okay, mm-hmm. So this is an example right. of how an autopsy, uh, you know, or finally getting somebody after a trade is made, i.e. the Longoria trade, um, where you can find out additional details um, that, that, you know, shed new light on something. But it's hard to cover while, while things are very fluid, and you have to know you have to know the motivation of the person telling you things. You have to know the, the actual access to information. Um, you know, you, people who have strong trade speculation, trade reporting literacy, will know the words that people use. Um, you know, when you see such things as, you know, the Cardinals have been in conversation with Agent X, no kidding. They talk to every agent. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Cardinals had a very long, John Mozella had a very long conversation in the lobby of a hotel with many media around with the Wasserman Group. You know who the Wasserman Group represents? Uh, Morrow. Um, Reed, uh, let's see, Giancarlo Stanton, mm-hmm. uh, what, you Darvish? Yep, you Darvish. Do you think it's possible the Cardinals talked about all of those players and perhaps the Wasserman group said, you know, what about you Darvish as a fit? And the Cardinals go, we talked about you Darvish. What about Brendan Morrow as a fit? <laughs> Did they talk about you Darvish? Yeah. yeah, it came up, you know, as a name that they were discussing, right. but so it's hard to, you know, so, you know, they're, that's what Mo means when he says we do our due diligence. You can go write anything, you know. The Cardinals considered what um, A.J. Pollock would look like in the middle of their lineup. Yeah, they probably did, you know. Did they make a move on him? Probably not because Arizona doesn't want to trade him. Right. Um, the Cardinals considered what Jose Abreu would look like in their lineup because that's what the Cardinals do. That's what teams do. They consider what would that guy look like and what would it take to get him and is it worth the effort? And sometimes the answer is no. It's the same thought exercise that got so much attention, what, 10, 11, 12 years ago, or longer than that now, when you remember Buster only reported that the Philadelphia Phillies had had internal conversations about could they trade Ryan Howard for Albert Pujols. Mm-hmm. And this became like, oh, my gosh, the Phillies want to trade Ryan Howard. for No, no, they had – a thought exercise, just like a lot of teams have, right. is that what you're going to do? Because you do things like that to not just see what trades are out there, but to also understand the value for your own players. The Cardinals will float prospects out there to see what kind of response they get, not because they want to trade the prospect, but because they want to improve their own internal evaluations. Good way to know 
how much to give up for a player is to know how much that prospect is worth right. elsewhere. Yeah. You know, it's sort of a it's it's a third party evaluate. It's like an audit. They they're doing a third party audit by doing that. You stir up rumors and you stir up conversation and everything like that. But you know, if you have trade reporting literacy, you, you can figure out the difference between you know what is duh and what is real. What, what are real sparks that? I'll use this now. What is the difference between smoke and what is the difference between the sparks yeah. of the fire? And there's a lot of smoke, a lot of smoke. Um, trade rumors are writ on water, I often say. They're gone as soon as somebody says them out. You know, they don't have to be right because nowadays you just have to be sensational to get attention. Um, and the last thing I'll say about that is Michaelis maybe is another example. You know, what did he come out of the blue? Yeah, in a lot of, I mean, yeah, almost every way he did. For the Cardinals, right? But did he come out of the blue for other teams? Um, look to the transactions sometime. Look, look to the Cardinals sign Miles Michaelis and count the number of hours before the report was that the Cubs signed Tyler Chatwood. Mm-hmm. These are not unrelated signings. Um, you know, the Cubs had interest in Michaelis. Michaelis makes his call. Cubs go and sign the other. And that, that's, that's no, um, that comes out afterwards and partially it comes out afterwards because you pay attention to the transactions. You pay attention to the timing of things and you go ask. Mm -hmm. A final question for you here as we're approaching the, uh, the end of the hour. Uh, is this? Did I speak for the whole hour? It feels like I. Really I why well, shut you up? I mean, people. I mean, people want to hear what you have to say. Final question. We'll talk again next week, uh, probably Tuesday or Wednesday. Uh, and at that point, four or five games will have been played. Is, I mentioned that Flaherty is getting the first start. I'll be on the road, uh, so we'll have to do it when I come We'll back. do it uh, when yeah, you get back. Team is three Gulf Coasting. Gulf yeah. Coasting. Um, is there anything in these early games that fans who are super locked in at this point should be keeping a close eye on? Any players, any things? Yeah, will be sure, sure. Uh, uh, Michaelis is fascinating seeing what he does. Um, I will once again tease to tomorrow's story, something that you'll look for in games. I'll explain why in tomorrow's post-dispatch with all the pitchers. Um, I think I think it's fair. I think one thing to watch unfold is who's playing at shortstop. Who's getting the reps at shortstop? Who is their backup shortstop? Whether that person is in AAA or mm-hmm. whether that person is on the major league bench, who's the person who replaces Paul DeYoung? I mean, heck, who's the person who replaces Paul DeYoung in a double switch? But Jed, Jed Jerko had an interesting thing that he's I, – I, uh, he was talking about how he was third on the depth chart in so many different positions. And so his position is quite literally third. <laughs> he will play third base and be the third shortstop and be the third second yeah. baseman and be the third first baseman. Yeah. So he's third. <laughs> um, but I just I, – I, I watched that unfold. I mean um, – Starters are going to be going short, not just pitchers, but everyday players. They're not going to be playing a lot because games start up real fast. So I would look for some of the pitchers who have come in ahead. You know, like look for the impression that Dakota Hudson makes. Look for how successful Jason Mott is in getting out. Yeah. Um, and I, I, there's, there's every there, there's plenty of possibility that he can make this team. And I mean, the, the opening is there. Um, you know, watch for some of these relievers because. I'm eager to see how much patience the Cardinals have for some of these guys with options. If they don't show early that they can't get outs, how quickly do they look to just absolute flamethrowers to fill out the bullpen? 
Um, I wouldn't judge one, one note of caution. I would not put a whole lot of stock in, good or bad, um, the first appearances of a guy like Luke Gregerson or a guy like Adam Wainwright. Um, what he does in his first start, if he goes out there and throws four innings on, you know, 12 pitches, um, you know, that's pretty good. That's really good. And he get a lot of success for it and everything like that. But I think the what you'll see from Adam Wainwright, you know, he and the team have both said, look, he's going to be working on things. Um, so look for health, not necessarily results. Look for results toward the end. And, that, and I mean that good or bad, you know. Um, so uh, that, I think that about covers it. Um, enjoy Marcelo Zuna. Yeah. Um, you know, haven't seen a hitter like that around here in a long time. So enjoy that. Um, and people were like, well, since Matt Holiday, he's a different hitter than Matt Holiday. Yeah. You know, Matt Holiday was savage and, um, you know, exit velocity monster. Um, and just, you know, he, he, you could see that he had a lot to make the, the bat work hard to hit hard. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Zuna has just a natural kind of sweep to it. Um, you know, that really, it, it really offers some kind of just um, fluid shock power. Um, so enjoy, you know, enjoy that look. I think, I think that about covers it. Yeah, well, that's a lot to look forward to. Uh, yeah. As you mentioned, the Cardinals do go out on the Gulf side of Florida yeah. uh, next week. Just in time for J.D. Martinez. Just in time for J.D. Martinez to make his... Or uh, Jake Odorizzi. For, the, for, for that matter. They're yeah. all over there. On all the, these uh, teams make a move. Fort Myers. Illness. Kind of thing. That's right. Sorry. So, there it all is. Derek Gould uh, with you here on the Tim McKernan Show. We will do be I win the weekly. t-shirt this week? You do win the t-shirt. I, you walked in, and what do you have going here? Black Panther. Black yeah. Panther. Breaking box office records. Unbelievable. Black Panther. It's incredible. I, I'm simply in... Black Jordan Spieth, all black, everything, Under Armour. Uh, here, I'm, I'm only like 800 yards away from the Honda Classic. I'm getting ready. You're nerding out on Black Panther. I'm going to be nerding out on the Pro Am. Honda Classic. And the Honda Classic. Now the Tigers playing, so I'm fired up. That's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that's right, right around the corner. So that's what I will be doing here. But Dan McLaughlin and I will get together uh, the first game Friday, and that'll be on Fox Sports. And Dan will be on the call. That Derek will be on the golf side, and we'll come back and we'll do another one next week. These will stay up on Periscope and up on Facebook. Share them. It's a Q and A for you every week throughout spring training as we monitor what is going to be a fascinating spring training for the St. Louis Cardinals. It is all presented by Design Air Heating and Cooling, the number one train dealer in Midwest. When it warms up in St. Louis, just know this: go to designairservice.com. And make sure you thank them for making this all possible, this whole deal. And Derek and I and Dan Blockman and I, and I think Mike Claiborne and Chris Raby might stop by too. Uh, over the course of the next month and a half, we'll have these conversations leading to spring training. Derek, thank you so much. Thanks, and we're super you. busy today. I can't wait to read what you have in the post-dispatch on this. Yeah, uh, deep tease. My, that is, it's a great tease, though. Uh, so that's coming up tomorrow. Thank you, to everybody, for watching. Spread the word. It's live from spring training every week here on the Tim McKernan Show on Periscope on Twitter and on Facebook Live, presented by Design Air Heating and Cooling.